Good to see everybody here this morning. Our series is called How to Treat Mean People. And don't look around. Don't look around. All right, we've already seen the first three Christian responses to this. Uh, love them, bless them, and do good to them. And this morning we're finishing up the series with Pray for Them. So let's head back to Matthew chapter 5 for this final message from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, and we'll read here once again the words of Jesus. And uh, I love to read, I have a lot of different Bibles, but I love to read uh, out of my Bible that has the words of Christ in red. I just always love them. And to see the words of Jesus on the page, and the whole Bible is the Word of God, obviously, uh, but these words just are so special from Jesus. As you're turning there, uh, don't forget, as we mentioned in the announcements, uh, this afternoon at 4 o'clock, we've got Class 201, Discovering Christian Maturity, and this class has actually just been kind of reworked, re-edited uh, by our 201 leaders, and if you, even if you've taken the class before and you've just become disconnected in your devotional life and you're not really walking with God like you should, this would be a great class to come to. Uh, and it, certainly, if you've never taken it before, uh, make sure you come tonight. Please, if, you, if you'd let us know you're coming, because we do have child care and dinner that are provided. And so that class starts at 4 o'clock, and it'll be a blessing to you in your Christian walk. Now, next Sunday is Friend Day. And if you haven't invited a friend yet, make sure you do that today as you look around. We have room in this building that if everybody here invited a friend... They would still all fit. And so let's all invite a friend as soon as we can. Uh, today's the best day to do it. If you can't do it today, then do it as soon as you can this week. And let's all try to get a friend to be here with us. One other note before we read, uh, we are having a special worship and communion service on the evening of Palm Sunday on April 10th at 5.30. Okay, Matthew 5. Here we go, verse number 43. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye you salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Now, as we've gotten increasingly familiar with this passage we have seen that attitude God wants us to have uh, in dealing with people who oppose us for whatever reason. And that was in the first message, love them. We've also seen the words he calls us to use. And a couple weeks ago, we saw the priestly blessing, uh, and we uh, allowed the opportunity for, 
people in the room here to pray over each other the priestly blessing from the book of Numbers. And, and so those are our words that we use. We've also seen last Sunday the actions he wants us to take toward each other uh, from the story of the Good Samaritan. Now today, we're going to see the approach God wants us to take. And uh, this is to be prayerful, to pray for them, uh, to be able to pray for those who despitefully use us and persecute us, we must consider the following things. And so we're going to consider several different things today. Uh, there are notes in your bulletin if you want to follow along with us. Uh, if you're techie, they're also on the YouVersion app. And I, I appreciate all the techie people uh, around here because I are not one, <laughs> okay? I, I'm not very techie. And we had like a computer something this morning, and it took them like an hour and a half to figure it all out to get this going. But I appreciate the people who know how to do that stuff and help us in so many ways. Uh, let's consider four things now about how we pray for those who must mistreat us. And let's start with this thought. We share a creator. We share a creator. If you start with the age-old question that I think everybody asks at some time or another, where did I come from, right? It's one of the most basic questions of life. Where did I come from? And you'll end up realizing that God has fearfully and wonderfully made you for the purpose of glorifying him. But here's the catch. He is also fearfully and wonderfully made your current adversary for the purpose of glorifying him, right? You ever hear in professional sports or college sports where somebody says, I'm praying that God will help my team win, right? Have you ever thought that maybe God's for both teams, right? Isn't that weird? Like, uh, God doesn't have a pick in those games. That he just, he's for everybody. He wants good for everybody, you say, well, I can't believe that. I'm for some, somebody and against somebody. And uh, when you have a conflict with another person on this earth, you know, it's with somebody that God created. And uh, to go even further, if the person you're having difficulty with is also a child of God, then you share not only a creator, but you share a heavenly father, Right? Have you ever had two of your kids come in and ask you to settle a dispute? Right? Those are always fun, aren't they? Uh, especially when one is nine and one is four. Oh, <laughs> did I get too close to home on that? Uh, sorry, that's, that's how it is at our house. Yeah. And uh, one of them says, he hit me, or she said this to me, or and, uh, dad, can't you fix it? Can't you get in involved and choose sides? Can't you figure out who's right and who's wrong? And, you know, that's a tough thing when you're the dad, right? Because you love them both and you want the best for both. And parents never have favorites, right? Right, kids? You know what I'm saying? Parents never have favorites. How many of you, when you were a kid, you had a brother or sister that lived at home with you? Okay, and how many of you thought that there was somebody in your house that, who was a child, who, <laughs> Cody's already raised his hand, who, who was the favorite? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, in our house, it was Cody, obviously. That's why he raised his hand. And um, he, he used my phone for something earlier this week. And the next day, I opened my phone up, and I was going to send him a text about something, and I couldn't find his name anywhere. 
he had changed his name in my phone uh, to my favorite child or something like that, or my firstborn child or something. Uh, what a turkey. So I, I left it in there now just because I laugh every time I see it. Uh, but sometimes, because we're human, sometimes we can't help it. We lean toward a certain kid just because they got our personality or a sense of humor or whatever it is. But, but God is the Heavenly Father. I assure you, He has good plans for both sides. And your Father is rooting for both of you to honor Him and to honor each other. Now, in week one of this series, uh, we saw how David chose to honor King Saul, even when Saul had thrown javelins at him. Even when Saul was doing his best to have David kill David still called Saul the Lord's anointed. He didn't try to take control of outcomes. He believed that was God's job. And if you're dealing with another believer, remember something. That person is the Lord's anointed. He's not your enemy. She's not your adversary. Can I just go into some territory and remind you, we have enough enemies without people in God's family being our enemies right? We face a world that hates God. We deal with our own flesh that is opposed to God's plans. We fight a devil who spends every ounce of energy on going against what God is for. We have enough enemies. And if we share a heavenly father, we shouldn't be enemies. It, it sickens me in the modern age how many Christians use so much of their time and effort to get on social media and talk about other believers, other pastors, other denominations. Don't we have more important things to do, like reach the world for Christ, than to write articles about some other brother or sister or what's wrong with this guy or that guy? If we share a heavenly father, we shouldn't be enemies. But honestly, if we share a creator, we should do all things possible to live at peace. That's what it says in the Bible. Hey, if we uh, can at all possible, we should live at peace. And Jesus is letting us know that the response of grace is to pray for those who misuse you, for those who persecute you, even if she insists on being your enemy. You don't have to be hers. Even if he demands that you be his adversary, Jesus says you don't have to do it. There's another option. There is a different response. And that is to pray for him. Now, let's talk about this second item to consider this morning. Not only do we have a creator, also we have a condition. We have a condition. And every person sitting here in this room this morning has a condition. From the youngest to the oldest. And I promise you, this condition is the worst possible news in your life. It's worse than cancer, it's worse than a broken limb, it's worse than any disease or sickness, it's worse than COVID. This is a disease that is in the human heart, and this disease is causing another person possibly to act hatefully toward you. Uh, but unfortunately, this disease also rests in your heart. It is called sin, and instead of being shocked, shocked that a sinner has sinned, those who have received grace should pass that grace along. Now, I'm not sure why it is that we expect people who don't know God 
to follow the commands of Jesus. But we often do, right? It's kind of like getting really ticked off because the neighbor's kid four houses down didn't come and mow your lawn for you. Right? He's not your kid. He's not in your family. Why would he be responsible for mowing your lawn unless you paid him? Right? But that's how we sometimes are with people outside the family of God. We're like, I can't believe this guy's doing this. Well, why can't you believe it? He's a sinner. He's lost. He's undone. He needs Jesus. And if you look over to John 8 with me, uh, I want to show you a talk that Jesus had with the Pharisees. And if you ever have this picture painted that Jesus was, you know, just this really nice, meek and quiet guy who never stood up for anything and just was always really loving to everybody and never talked sternly. Let's go to John 8. Okay, let's see what Jesus says. Let me show you a talk with uh, the Pharisees, and he did not skirt around the issue one bit. Look down to verse number 42. Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word. Now look at verse 44. Jesus actually said these words to the Pharisees. Ye are of your father, the devil. And the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Wow. I mean, goodness gracious, that's a truth bomb right there. Right? That's rough. Uh, but Jesus can say it because he never had the devil as a father. Jesus was sinlessly perfect. He never once gave in to a temptation. Even though he was tempted in all points like we are, he was without sin. The same cannot be said for me and you. If you're a Christian, yes, you've been redeemed. Your spirit has been born in the family of God. Your soul has been adopted into the family of God. You've been bought with the price of Jesus' own blood. But remember where you came from. Before receiving the gift of eternal life, you were in bondage to sin. You were condemned already. You had a soul headed toward eternal death, and your father was, yep, that's right, the devil. Your flesh, by the way, is still in opposition to God. It's like an anchor that tries to drag you down every day. It's a weight that besets you. Go next with me to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, because God has called his children to be different. Jesus has defeated sin in our lives. Uh, we have been given God's word to teach us and empower us. We've been given God's spirit to enable us. So look over at James chapter 1, and I want you to see uh, these powerful words that are for those who are in the family of God. James 1, verse number 22. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, 
He is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Have you ever forgotten what you really looked like? Right? Have you ever forgotten where you came from? Right? It's rough stuff to remember where you came from. And when you deal with people who don't have Jesus in their lives, please remember there was a time when you didn't have Jesus in your life, right? And it's possible that you're here today and you're confused about what I just said. There are many, many people who will tell you, I have always been a Christian. In fact, I ask people all the time, when did you become a Christian? And I've had countless people tell me, I've always been a Christian. Can I just tell you, that is scripturally impossible. It's impossible. Jesus said you have to realize you're blind before you can see. You have to realize you're lost before you can be found. You have to realize you're a sinner headed toward eternal death before you can receive the gift of eternal life. No one has always been a child of God. You have to be born into the family through salvation. And it would be so sad for you to spend eternity separated from God because somebody led you to believe that you've always been a Christian. Nobody can become a Christian for you. That's a decision you have to make for yourself by repenting of your sin and accepting Jesus into your heart. And there are billions of people who are living under the condition of sin, who are condemned and confused and opposed to God. And before we give in to the feelings of treating another person as an enemy, we should remember that we too have a condition called sin, and it should lead our hearts to prayer. Now, let's add this third thing we need to consider, okay? Uh, We need to consider uh, the, the first two that we've talked about, our condition, our creator. Now, let's talk about we need compassion. We need compassion, When you're hopelessly lost, you need somebody to find you. There is absolutely nothing worse than being lost and having no one look for you. Right? That is the worst possible scenario. You are hopelessly lost and nobody's even looking for you. You need a friend. You need a savior. You need compassion. And if you need it, so does the person who currently hates you. See, when Jesus mercifully cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, you were included in the them, and so was your persecutor. Can you imagine offering compassion to people who are shouting, crucify him, to soldiers who are hammering nails through your body into a cross? Can you imagine calling out for God to show mercy to the priests who are killing you, thinking that they'll have control? Can you imagine being led like a lamb to the slaughter and not answering harshly? That is the compassion of Jesus, and he has it for everyone. God is not willing, it says in 2 Peter 3, that any should perish, 
God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants all people to come to the cross of Jesus and fall on their knees crying out for mercy. God wants it for your adversary even when you don't. Jesus wants it for your neighbor even when you don't. Jesus wants it uh, for your grouchy family member even when you don't think of it. We all need compassion. Now, pride will lead you to think that you don't need anybody's compassion. I don't need anybody's compassion. I don't need a handout. I'll just take what I deserve. Can I just tell you that when it comes to eternity, that is a horrible, horrible approach. That's a horrible approach because you deserve eternal death. Pride will lead you to think that you deserve eternal life and that nobody else does. But that's just pride. It's a lie. We all have that condition for which we need compassion. And pride will lead you to forget God's compassion towards you. It'll make you wish horrible things upon other people. When the simple words of Jesus bring us back to the humility of compassion, pray for them, Jesus says. And you say, well, what could I possibly pray for someone who misuses me and persecutes me? God, I pray they get killed quick, right? That's just read the Psalms, right? David prayed that like a thousand times. God, would you get rid of my enemies, please? You know what they prayed in Acts chapter 4? After they got beaten and sent home and said, don't speak about Jesus anymore, they said, oh, sovereign God, you see what's happening. Thank you for being a part of our lives. Would you please give us boldness? so that we could speak your word. They didn't ask God to change the circumstances. They asked God to change them. Now, that's a tough prayer. And so what could you pray for your enemy? Well, let's just list a few of them. And uh, you, you may add some other ideas down on your notes. But let's just start with a few practical ones. Uh, pray that God will be merciful to him. Right? Pray that God will be merciful. Jesus said we should love mercy for other people. Pray that God will show his love to her. Pray that he'll realize his need for a Savior. Pray that she'll understand God's love. Would you just take a second right now? I'm sure that the Holy Spirit of God is revealing to you in your heart right at this moment some things that you could or should pray for those who have hurt you, for those who hate you, for those who persecute you, for those who have demeaned you and set you aside and made fun of you, ridiculed you, and made you feel uncomfortable. The Holy Spirit might even be showing you right now a specific person you need to pray for. And I wouldn't be a bit surprised if the Holy Spirit's whispering in your heart right now exactly what you should pray. Be courageous. Don't just allow that to pass through your heart right now. Now mark it down. Write down the name God's putting on your heart. I believe God does that. Write down exactly what it is God wants you to pray for another person. I'm not talking about uh, somebody uh, who's far from you. It may be somebody that lives at your house. It could be somebody that's in your family or at your workplace that God wants you to pray for because they have mistreated you. You say, it's kind of backwards, isn't it? They should pray for me. That's not how God said it, though. Jesus said, 
Pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. And I'm telling you, don't miss the opportunity that God is giving you in this moment. Because when the Spirit speaks, we should take note. We should do what He's called us to do. You are never more like Jesus than when you pray for people who despitefully use you. Never. Now, what is the Spirit of God telling you to pray for that person? Now, just take a second. Consider it what, it, what it should be. You say, how long should I pray for that person? That's another great question. Shouldn't it at least be until your feelings catch up with your prayer? You know, when you first start praying for somebody who's been an enemy to you, your emotions may be dragging you the opposite direction. Now, you hear people say, well, I'll start praying for that person when I feel like it. Can I go ahead and tell you when you're going to feel like it? That'd be never. Right? You're not going to feel like it. And, and so you keep praying till God changes your heart and your emotions. And then you keep praying until that person knows Jesus as Savior. It's the most important thing you can do for another human being. Because, number four, and this is what we really need to touch on this morning, we face a conclusion. We face a conclusion. We will all spend eternity somewhere. God says it, that settles it. It doesn't really matter one bit whether or not you believe it. Eternity is headed your way. It could come at any moment of any day for any person in this place. You are not guaranteed a certain number of years. You are not guaranteed the same lifespan that another person had. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. Every single one of us has an appointment with death. I've got one. I don't know where and when, but God does. R.G. Lee, the old southern preacher, used to say, if I knew where I was going to die, I just wouldn't go there. Uh, but he didn't know, and Pastor Lee went to be with the Lord in 1978. And you're going to spend eternity either with the Lord or without the Lord. And so will your friends, and so will your family, and so will your enemies. And would you be very, very careful about uttering careless words about someone else's eternity? If you wish hell upon another person, then you surely don't understand what that really means. Hell isn't just a curse word. It is a place of everlasting torment and complete separation from God. In Luke 16, Jesus told a story about a rich man who had it all in this life, the finest clothes, the finest foods, the finest estate, the finest travel. And outside his gate was a beggar named Lazarus, a beggar with a heart for God. The beggar didn't have anything. He craved the crumbs that fell off the rich man's table just to survive. Dogs came by and licked his open sores. And finally, graciously, the beggar kept his appointment with death. His destination after death was eternal life. Jesus went on to say that the rich man, who had no worries in this life, also died. 
And then Jesus said these words. And listen, this is a quote from Jesus. He said, in hell, he lift up his eyes, being in torment. Jesus said that. He asked that Lazarus be allowed to dip his finger in water and cool his tongue because he was tormented in flame. Now, none of us know a whole lot about hell, but everything we know about it tells us that we don't want anyone to go there. You say, Pastor, who does go to hell? And listen, there are all sorts of thoughts and ideas on this, but God's Word is very clear on the issue. And please don't let anybody's opinion become your, your truth, okay? Because God's truth is revealed on this, and it is plain. Here's who goes to hell, according to the Scriptures. Those who die having rejected Jesus' gift of eternal life. Those who die having rejected Jesus' gift of eternal life will be cast into the lake of fire. That's what it says. And in fact, here's Revelation 20:15, direct quote. You can look it up for yourself. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The moment you were conceived, your name was written in God's book. And the only way to get taken out of that book is if you die, knowing there's a right and wrong, knowing there's a God, but you don't receive his grace. It could be on purpose. It could be out of neglect. The moment you die, having rejected his gift, you will spend all eternity in hell. It's not my opinion. It's God's word. And I'm telling you, it's not fun to preach on hell. That's why we rarely hear anybody do it anymore, right? But we need to preach on it because for us to understand heaven, we've got to understand the alternative. Many gospel preachers give the good news, but they never give the bad news. And we got to give the bad news first because being saved isn't just adding Jesus to your life at a Christian concert. Being saved isn't just praying this prayer after somebody that you saw on television. Being saved is fully devoting your life to Jesus Christ, turning from the path of hell toward the way of Christ. It may be uncomfortable for us to think about hell, but I promise you hell is much more uncomfortable than us talking about it. Souls are slipping into eternal death every single day. And we just keep living our lives. And once they die, having rejected Christ, it is too late. There's no hope. Whether it's your loved one, your friend, or your enemy. And look, if you're a believer, we have the hope of eternal life that everyone needs. There is nothing more hateful than to have the only medicine that heals the disease of sin and not to share it. The worst thing that can possibly happen isn't a war in Ukraine or a natural disaster or inflation or cancer or nuclear war. The worst thing that can possibly happen to anyone is hell. And make no mistake about it, hell is real. And it's eternal. And we need to give the good news of the hope available in Jesus. 
We need to pray for every person we know to receive Jesus. God desires that the people who have misused you, abused you, persecuted you, that they have their lives changed by Jesus. And Jesus says to pray for them. Now, the faith challenge deals with the miracle that takes place in our heart when we pray for our enemies. See, praying for my enemy may not change my enemy, but it will definitely change me. If you pray for your enemy for the next 30 days, you just watch what God does to your heart. Right? You pray for that guy who keeps nagging on you at work for 30 days, it'll change your heart. You pray for that mom who keeps saying mean things about you on social media for 30 days, God will change your heart. You pray for your ex who's doing all sorts of mean things to you, God will change your heart. You say, but I need God to change his heart. He starts with yours. Revival starts in your heart, and it goes out from there. And would you stop praying for revival in other people if you're not willing to pray for it in you? Revival's got to start in your heart. Years ago, many years ago now, we had a horrible summer here at Centennial, and we had a, almost had church split, and some bad things were happening, and a bunch of people left, and uh, God laid on my heart that I was not praying for the people who were trying to hurt me like I should be. And so I took on a new challenge, and I came in one night, and we had an all-night prayer meeting, and it was the most discouraged I've ever been in my life. We did the whole all-night prayer meeting, and I was the only person who showed up. And I sat right down here. This used to be a pew down here. And I put my head in my hands. I didn't know what to think. And I walked outside that door, and I started. We had dirt back here back then. There were no other buildings. And I just kept walking back and forth. And I started praying for the people who were trying to hurt me. And you know, by the morning, as the dawn broke, somehow I had a new heart toward the whole situation. Isn't that crazy? And God let me know that they were people who were his children who needed compassion and love. And that he cared for them and he had good plans for them. And I prayed continually for them for many days after that. And never again have I felt that sense of oppression in my life toward those people. Because when you pray for those who misuse you, God will change you first. Bitterness will turn to compassion through the grace of Jesus Christ. And when it does, that compassion will call you to make a difference. That compassion will alert you to the reality of eternity. That compassion will lead you to love them, bless them, do good to them, and pray for them. And remember this. We mentioned it earlier. You do it before you feel it. Proverbs 16.3 says, Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. If you will do what Jesus says to do, even though you don't feel like it, you do what Jesus says to do in response to people hating you and persecuting you, and he will shape your heart to be like his heart. The feelings come after 
the obedient faith. And so who is it that God wants you to pray for? Make sure, along with your family and your friends and the people you care for, that you include the people who don't care for you and that maybe you don't care for. The people who despitefully use you and persecute you, make sure they're on the list. Now, as we close in prayer today, because we've just talked about praying for them, let's pray for them. And so whoever that is that God's put on your heart, you may not dislike them at all, but you just sense there's something between you. It's just not good. There's some type of hatred or there's some type of uh, passion against you. And would you just right now as we close this prayer and have a time where we pray for that person that God has placed on our heart? Maybe it's people. But start with person and pray for that person right now. Let's bow together. God, in the quietness of our hearts, right now you're speaking to us because it could be that there are people who hate us, but it also could be there are people we've been hateful toward. And I pray right now in this room, in our hearts, that you would begin to set the stage for renewed relationships, that you would pave the way for miraculous revival in relationships that start with us praying. It always goes back to us praying. And Lord, would, would we be able right now in your love and your grace to pray most for those people who are headed toward eternal death and separation from you? Give us hearts for them like never before. Give us compassion. Help us to remember that every person we see every day will spend eternity somewhere. And that only you have the answer through Jesus Christ. Work in us and through us. And as we move forward from this place, help us not only to know how to treat mean people, but to treat mean people the way that Jesus tells us to. To love them, bless them, do good to them, and pray for them. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, everybody. Love you. Don't forget the announcements. We'll see you next time.